0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS-accredited hyperbaric medicine practice, with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com, Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon today. Happy to be joined in studio today by Dr. Kenneth Anderson of the Anderson Hair Sciences Center and uh, some of his folks, a teammate of his and one of his patients, who will be able to tell us a little about his story. And we'll start with uh, Dr. Anderson. Thanks for uh, joining us today, Dr. Anderson.
1: Thank you very much, C.W. Thanks for having us back. And we
0: have Sarah Kovac. Hi. Formerly his uh, surgical assistant, but now uh, the important role of patient advocate. So, yes, thanks again. Sorry to cut you off there.
2: Hi, nice to meet you guys.
0: And we have uh, a client of Dr. Anderson who will be able to share his story, uh, patient John Williamson. Hey, thanks for uh, having us here. I appreciate you taking time out of the day. And last but not least, we have Diana Keo, CEO and founder of Sharewick.com. They're a resource for uh, the healthcare community providing journalistic content for their websites and other functions. So thanks for taking time out to tell us about Sherwick today, Diana.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So Dr. Anderson, from what I understand, in this community, you're one of the first providers uh, that has robotic hair restoration as a service that is enabling you to Provide hair restoration with minimal scarring, minimal recovery, only 40 of them in the world, and yet here the folks in the Atlanta market can come and and get your service uh, with the expertise from you. So tell us a little bit about uh, the value that that
1: brings to your patients when they come to see you. Excellent question. Uh, Well, hair restoration has come a long way from the 1970s and 80s when it was a pluggy doll's hair appearance. Uh, In about 2004, Uh, a few doctors and I in Beverly Hills started using small one millimeter punches to remove the hair from the uh, donor area and place it into the areas of need for those gentlemen who wanted to have a hair restoration surgery, but who did not want the telltale linear scar in the back of the head. However, because this was done uh, using handheld instruments, uh, there was some transection of the hairs and a little bit of an issue successfully transplanting the hair uh, every time. Well, in about... uh, 2013 we uh, were awarded the contract for the very first and only hair restoration surgery robot in the state of Georgia and it is a fascinating piece of technology that allows patients to uh, receive a hair transplant without having to have uh, any linear scar they can have the hair as short as they like
0: so I actually know somebody who had 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 the the other type of surgery and you're, you're right I mean there is I mean he does often wear his hair on you know on the short side and you can still see that scar that you're talking about, uh, you know, and and as we sit here with one of your clients, I mean, I never ever would have known that uh, he'd had a procedure done to restore hair. So uh,
1: it looks fantastic. Thanks very much. Yes, here we have to my right is uh, John Williamson. Uh, He's a patient of mine from April of this year, and he underwent a robotic procedure. How you doing, John? Doing good, man. Okay, and he's here just to tell us a bit about, you know, what the patient experience is like.
4: You know, it it all starts with uh, doing a lot of research, um, you know. I'm 35. Started losing my <clears throat> my hair a little bit. Um, I guess when I was about 32, 33, and my problem was losing the hair in the front hairline. So, you know, what do you do about that? Um, you know, I got on uh, Propecia. Actually, after I met you, we did a consult, and you gave me Propecia, and that worked. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of um, hair restoration places that I walked into, and I felt like a salesman was selling something. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wasn't looking for a sale. I was looking for a fix. And you know, I, I guess my point is, you've got to do your homework. You've got to weed through a lot of people to find uh, the real deal. And, and when I met, uh, I, I call him Ken now. When I met Ken, um, he wasn't selling me. He was showing me results of what he has done with other people. And I said. I want my hairline back. Is that possible? And he said, absolutely. You know, um, what, what's your goal? And I said, you know, to fix the the front of it, the back looks good. Uh, A couple months later, um, we actually, you know, started the procedure. Um, and I was excited. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited now because, um, I guess what, eight months later, my hair's back, my hairline's back and it looks great. Uh, no one really you know, I don't walk in a room and people are like, wow, what'd you do? Right. right. But I notice and my wife notices. And it's just, I uh, mean, it was a great experience. I would recommend it to anyone. But I would recommend that anyone, they, they've got to do their homework. And you're going to see a lot of places that say, hey, we're running specials. Do you really want a special on your <laughs> hair? Right. I want a special on my tires, not on my hair. Well, <laughs> so. you know, as we talked
0: about, you know, when, you, when we were introducing you, uh, you know, it's, obviously you're a young man what was the process like for you you know from a quality of life perspective your just your you know your personal self-image that that made you finally be motivated enough to explore hair restoration for you and you right. kind of walk through that process because i mean i think a lot of people may presume that it's kind of an older man's thing mm-hmm. but uh, obviously you're a, you're a young man and and uh, you're engaging in you know sales activities and you want to go out and put on a good uh, uh, you know Presentation of yourself. So, I mean, you know, what was it like for yeah. you as you started losing your hair?
4: Well, yeah, you mentioned I'm in sales, and you know, part of part of being in sales for me is having confidence. And um, you know, uh, when you lose hair, you lose your confidence. I mean, at least that's how I felt. I'm, I'm sure other people feel the same way. But um, you know, step one is actually doing the research and talking to someone and saying, "Is it possible for me to uh, get the results that I'm looking for?" And that's why you do the consult. But um you know yeah I was a little depressed and uh, I kept researching and researching and then I finally met with Dr. Anderson and I you know, talked talk to my wife about it and she was like man stop talking about this that's all you talk about this and football and she was <laughs> like, luckily my team is winning this year so you know I mean the, the hair was I mean this has been a great year for me um I've got my hair back Mississippi State is number one in the country sorry to plug that Hail but, State. um no it, it, it was great man um like I said it's it's You know, I really believe in in spending money on something that's going to make you happy. And it's, I wasn't looking for a sports car or anything like that. I was looking for something that's going to make me happy. Um, So, yeah, it was a great decision. I would do it again. I would recommend it. I told Ken, I said, man, give my number to anyone. If they want to call me and talk to me, I'll walk them through it. It didn't hurt. Uh, I don't have a scar on the back. I see people in the grocery store with a scar. And I'm thinking, man, I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm glad I actually... Uh, you know, put forth the effort to find the right person to do this. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about finding the right person. And Mm -hmm. luckily, I met him and and it worked out.
0: You mentioned the fact that a lot of the places that you explored to begin with were trying to win you over with, you know, prices or or sales prices and things (laughs) like that. Um, You know, when you got to Ken's office to talk about your experience as a patient through the consult process and kind of what finally won you over that this is what I need to do.
4: Yeah. Well, um, so I met Sarah and, and she was real nice. And she kind of, she said, you know, I was asking her all these questions. She said, the doctor's going to come talk to you. And I thought, Oh, the doctor's going to talk to me. Most other places, a salesman's going to talk to me. Interesting. I don't want you to sell me. Like I said, I, I want to talk to the person that's going to have their their hands on my head and, and right. actually facilitate this. So, once I talked to Ken, um, he said, I'm gonna show you some results. I mean, plain and simple, this is what I do. I specialize in this. Um, if you specialize in something, you better be great at it. And he showed me some results. Uh, we looked at different options. Um, the, the artist robot was perfect for me. And I, I was, you know, I did my research on it. I was really intrigued of how it worked. And, you know, no scar, you get your hair back. End of the day, that's priceless.
3: Can I ask a question? Sure. So t- it kind of described me how bad it was. Okay. Did I show you a picture earlier? Yeah, um, you did, but, you but know, I mean, obviously you, didn't show you guys the, can't the see the, listeners. the picture. Um,
4: <laughs> so I kind of had the, uh, the horseshoe. Um, I, I don't know, the easiest way to explain it is I have a lot of real estate on my forehead. And <laughs> when the hair started <laughs> receding back, it looked like my forehead got a lot bigger. You know, some people uh, lose hair in the back, some in the front. Right. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not gonna look good bald. I've got big ears big forehead. It's not going to work out for me. Some people look great bald. Bruce Willis, Vin Diesel. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, um, it it's a, you know, night and day difference. And um, I, f- I feel like I, I got, you know, my money's worth. And um, it, it was just, everything was great. I mean, the procedure was great. The recovery was fine. The worst thing you're going to deal with is a bad haircut for maybe a month. Um, you're going to get kind of a military style haircut because you, you've got to cut it short, uh, at least for my procedure, and um, now, man, it it was great. I would do it again in in a heartbeat.
0: Can you talk about what the process was like? I mean, you you mentioned the fact that the procedure itself was, you know, not very uncomfortable. Right. What was the recovery
4: process like for you? Recovery process, um, you know, Dr. Anderson gives you the the, uh, post-medication, so uh, it reduces the swelling and things like that. Uh, He he gives you step-by-step instructions of this is what you need to do day one, day two, all the way to day, I don't know, 40. Um, it's, it, you know, it it was easy. So I went in that morning, got the procedure done. Um, my wife picked me up at the end of the day. Um, you know, uh, the next morning I woke up, there wasn't a lot of swelling. Um, you know, the recovery was me sitting at home watching television. I mean, that was the, that was the easy part about it. But, um, and how
3: long was that?
4: Uh, you know, total recovery. Here's the cool thing about this procedure. I mean, your results aren't immediate. I mean, so you don't wake up the next morning with a full head of hair. I mean I'm still growing hair right now in front of you guys like look at me this hair is growing it's right crazy now. it's going I mean it's, it's, growing. it's amazing um, you know every month uh, more, your hair grows a little bit more I, I, I think the the peak months are about six months is that right Ken
1: uh, that's about the peak uh, growth month <clears throat> a lot of times it takes about eight to twelve months depending on the person for the the hair to really uh, fully grow in
4: right um, You know it's it's kind of fun to every week look in the mirror and say wow i got more hair it's uh and so how
3: long were you home from work
4: you know i took about a week off and um you know i I was back and you know luckily i could work a little bit from home but if you have the type of job that you could wear a hat or something like that i mean that's ideal nobody's gonna know i mean do you no 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 i don't have that kind of job i'm in sales so i have to be in front of people and you know uh, the only comment i got a week later was wow you got your hair cut short i said you know what? I went in for a $10 haircut and came out with a $2 haircut. So I, I got a bad haircut. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And, uh, you know, I, I still have a few people that say, man, you remember when you got your haircut? I said, yeah, I remember. But, um, no, it was great. Like I said, you, it, it's, it's not one of those things that's so noticeable that when you walk in, someone's like, wow, you had something done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gradual growth of the hair. So that, that really prepares people to, um, you know, th- th- there's no shock. We've been talking
0: to clients of the Anderson Hair Sciences Center, patient John Williamson and uh, Dr. Kenneth Anderson. And, and when you were interviewing your prospective hair restoration specialist, did they talk at all about their clinical background? What, what kind of, you know, what kind of focus they had had prior to getting into hair restoration? Are you know, were they plastic surgery? Were they no. general surgery? What kind of physicians were they?
4: You know, a, honestly, um, a lot of the other places, uh, I never talked to a physician. It was a salesperson, and, and they're, they're going to come in and say, okay, first off, we're, we're having a sale on this. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, show me the results. I'm Like I said, I'm not worried about the sale. I mean, it's uh, you get what you pay for out there. And, yeah. you know, uh, like I said, so I never talked to another physician, and so I was kind of surprised when he came in the room, and I was like, okay, so who does this? He's like, I do it. What are you talking about? You know, uh, set me in his office, <laughs> and... You know show me some pictures and, and for me uh results are, are what i was looking for i wanted to see like you know, it's, it's funny he showed me a lot of pictures and i said now did you do this he goes of course i did this I? <laughs> you know but, but 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 the reason i bring that up is is some of the other guys they can't say that they can't say yes i did this i mean a lot of the i, I noticed i saw the same picture of yeah. different people like they bought a stock photo and they're showing me results of of the procedure but not necessarily what they did so you know, it's, it's worth it to do your homework, find the right person, and, um, man, like I said, I, you know, go go see Dr. Anderson. He'll give you my phone number, and we can have the same conversation on the phone.
0: Well, when you combine the the background in facial plastic surgery, Dr. Anderson, with what the robot can do, I mean, how does that differentiate you from
1: you know some of those other folks that are out there? Well, there's, a, I believe. What differentiates our practice. It's a, uh, about in 2003, I joined a busy practice in Beverly Hills, and that's right about the time that hair restoration went from the pluggy look to the single hair at a time look. And this was a, a really advanced practice. They were coming up with a lot of new stuff, and uh, the follicular unit extraction procedure, which is what we're talking about, which is what the robot uh, performs, uh, it, it had just, uh, you know, we were just coming up with it. So I elected at that point, because I looked around and I saw, geez, you don't have to have a board certificate in anything. And now in this country, physicians' assistants are allowed to independently perform hair restoration surgeries. You know, if, if, as long as there's a doctor somewhere on the premises or maybe in the building. Um, I decided that this was going to be a much a, a growing field, pun intended, and that uh, it was a real future in this because hair loss affects well over 50% of men, and so my friend, you're not alone. Uh, and it affects about 40% of women as they get uh, as they get older. So. I thought, geez, this is you know a, a, a great opportunity for me. It's a, a wonderful and a very a pleasurable surgery. I love the actual procedure itself, but what I love most of all is the happiness that I'm able to, to bring to patients. You know, the, the, the worry that people have about looking at their hairline receding, and you know, we associate that with age. It causes a lot of people, a lot of concern and distress. And when I'm able to replace the hairline uh, with very minimal evidence that anything has been done in the donor area, and of course in the front, Um, where people are actually looking it should look I mean the the hair restorations the best hair restorations in this country should fly completely under the radar and it should look like the hair has always been there and not like someone has put it back and that's what we do every day at the Anderson Hair Sciences Center and I tell my uh, my patient advocate and my and my employees that you know we don't we don't sell hair transplants we sell happiness we really do we sell happiness and confidence because Geez, the stories I, I could tell you about patients who, who say I saved you know save their careers, soap opera actors in California and, and the like, it's a it's a very powerful uh, procedure because we all used to have hair and it's associated with use and and losing it is very stressful for many 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 people, so it's a it's a I, I love the procedure and and how much happiness we're able to bring to uh, to folks.
0: Well, you know, your passion for what you're doing is obvious in your, you know, when you get to talking about what you do. And I think that sometimes it's easy to kind of trivialize aesthetic procedures, whether it's, you know... uh ones that, uh, say, a woman might go for her face or, or other features that, that, that they're less than happy with, uh, or, you know, in this case, a, a patient that's having some frustration and, and uh, self-image issues over the fact that their, you know, hairline is changing uh, for the worse. And, and I, I believe that uh, those types of body image issues can contribute to your overall health. I think that uh, when you don't feel good about the way you look, that you can make choices, you know, with your other health, you know, activities, uh, that uh, whether you you know when you feel better about yourself, tend to make better choices in what you eat. You tend to feel like being active to make yourself look good, uh, like you feel you know great about your hairline now. So maybe I better you know get in better shape. I think that those types of procedures can actually help contribute to someone's overall state of health, even though it's kind of an indirect way. But I do believe that it can pull them towards greater health just because they feel better about who they what they look like.
1: I would very much agree. I'd very much agree. The uh, the. Patients report, you know, a lot of them are very satisfied with the procedure. And you'd ask me a second ago, you know, what sort of differentiates the practice and why I went into this. Uh, I discovered it's it's the procedure itself is is not very medically invasive, and that's why, you know, any doctor can do it and any physician's assistant can do it. But that they can technically do it, but can they do it well? I I brought to the table my background in facial plastic surgery, and I'm also a formally trained artist and medical illustrator. And so really combining those two fields is what hair restoration surgery is all about because when a man loses his frontal hairline, replacing it is not that intuitive. You have to kind of look at the face, the shape of the head. How to frame it. And to frame the face and to make it look like it's always been there. And and, and there are a lot of complex subtleties. So I realized this back in 2003 and uh, decided, I don't even do Botox anymore. The only thing that we do at the Anderson Hair Sciences Center is take care of patients, men and women, with thinning hair or, or hair loss. And uh, we're proud to offer, it's a boutique, uh, boutique style clinic, and I, I never perform more than one procedure per day. I meet with every single patient to go over their concerns as I did with uh, Jonathan.
0: Well, we, we've been talking with Dr. Anderson of the Anderson Hair Sciences Center, and obviously being one of the first physicians in the world who offers this type of robotic hair restoration procedure, that, that certainly sets you apart. But I know that there are some other healthcare care innovations that you offer that aren't surgical in nature that may possibly help somebody uh, that maybe they can
1: achieve their goal uh, without surgery. Can you talk about some of those things? I certainly can. Um, In the last five years, there have been a number of advances in the the field of non-surgical hair restoration. And by that, I mean uh, ways to preserve the hair that's remaining on the head, and in some cases grow it back without performing any surgery. Hair loss is itself a permanent condition and it is progressive throughout one's life. Uh, The hair restoration procedure, Really, no matter which way you slice it, is just a redistribution of whatever hair happens to be remaining on your head. So it's important, especially for younger gentlemen uh, like Jonathan, to keep the hair on his head, you know, so that we don't have to do you know four and five operations over the course of his life. And so we have several new treatments. One of them is uh, platelet-rich plasma with cell, which is a biotechnology product that activates the playlist. Essentially what Kobe Bryant had for his Achilles tendon. Yeah, there's a lot of different but medical uses for it. That's it's correct. Cool. It's been proven to increase vascularity. And in the hair, we apply it uh, uh, just under the skin and among the hair follicles. And that tends to rejuvenate some of the hairs that are trying to fade away as a result of, uh, of the hair loss process. We also have low level laser therapy you can uh, put, uh, la- there's laser caps we have where you wear the cap 30 minutes, three times a week. And uh, that, I think, is the most promising technology that we have. It is interesting to note that uh, hair loss has no cure. There's no cure for it. There's no cure for acne either, uh, yet I'm quite sure that the, they sell quite a bit of Clearasil down there at right. Red Aid. Right. It's a multi-billion dollar market. We've all experienced the the acne or seen people with acne at some points, typically in childhood. So we're very familiar with that. Uh, The laser cap technology, it is not so familiar to everybody. They don't sell them down at the (laughs) drugstores. But it has four and five times the success rate of any clear aceril or acne medication that you could find. Uh, A a study came out in January of this year, a a, a really well-designed study, uh, the double-blinded placebo device controls study in which basically they gave a, a whole bunch of patients, a real laser device. Another group of patients, uh, a fake laser device, and the patients didn't know if they had a real or fake one. Right. Had them use it for a year. Came back and had a bunch of physicians use microscopes and look uh, uh, at their at the hair shafts and at the condition of of the of the state of, of the progression. And uh, what they found, and the the physicians didn't know whether the patients were using the real or the fake device. Right. And in that way, eliminates all the human bias from the uh, the actual study. And what they found was over 85 percent of people who use the laser device report that their progression of the hair loss either stops or dramatically slows down and over 50 percent of the patients report that their hair shafts diameters increased and that the follicular density increased all to say that those are fancy words for their hair grew back well wow. that's over half of pe- people with uh, you know with hair loss so there's some those are two of the technologies that we offer, there are a few others, but I think those are the, the most promising and up and coming technologies that will uh, continue to revolutionize the field of hair restoration surgery.
3: So explain to me the science on how a laser would help hair grow.
1: A laser. The laser devices are, uh, it's not like the laser you think in Star Wars, <laughs> it doesn't hurt you. It's more of a laser pointer level of, uh, of energy. It, does, it doesn't burn your skin like some of the laser devices uh, that are used in cosmetic surgical offices. In essence, what we found is that the little lasers, uh, they're five milliwatt in strength, very small, and they shoot out just a, one wavelength of light. There's no ultraviolet radiation emitted from these lasers. It's simply light of a single wavelength, which is 590 nanometers. And what we found through research is that that light, at uh, that energy, that light wavelength, penetrates the skin just enough and it causes the uh, what we call uh, an increased cellular respiration mm. in the hair follicles and skin. And, and that's a fancy term for, the way I put it to some patients is you're essentially sending your hair to the gym. The hair, the hair follicles take in more oxygen. They put out more carbon dioxide, just like every cell does. And what they do with that is they make more ATP or adenosine triphosphate, which is the molecule that is the currency of energy uh, in our bodies. So essentially it's giving, literally giving the hair more energy to grow that's pretty crazy it is it's well it's 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 sounds crazy but it's true
3: and so is that a I quick, think that's a song you know when we were growing up it was you know especially with long hair our moms would always brush it a hundred times every night to basically make it thicker and healthier and it's almost like a expedited brushing sounds like it's a, a tickling the hair hair shot to condition it um,
1: well, I'm not sure if it's tickling, but
3: <laughs>
1: I use what device myself I put it on you know because i'm st- I might have some hair loss I might be starting, and I'm trying to just to prevent that keep it on my head um it doesn't really it doesn't feel like anything really you've got kind of to put it on it has a baseball cap that comes with it and a little cord that snakes down your back, so you can wear it uh you know to if you have a half hour commute to work, there you go. you just put it on your head, and no whatever now but it uh it, it stimulates the hair i'm not, I've never heard of the of the brushing the hair a hundred times. I don't know that uh, oh yeah. Yeah, whenever That's I was a
0: right. kid, I remember girls talking oh, yeah. about that. Look, their moms see. wanted to brush their hair you know, and the sit the, uh,
3: and, yeah.
0: brush it and brush it and brush
1: it. It would seem to me that the mechanical brushing would probably be detrimental in the end. But Well, I'll tell you exactly what it does. Uh, what it does is pull out a lot of hair. Yeah. And uh, pretty much the hairs that are on their way out, out of their cycles, because all hairs on the human body have cycles. And as they're coming out of their growth cycle and coming into their Uh, uh, resting phase, the attachments under the skin of the hair start to be dissolved by the body. And that can take a couple weeks to fall out. Um, But if you brush your hair a hundred times every night, they're not going to take a couple (laughs) weeks to fall out. They're coming out right now.
0: Yeah. So I guess you just probably pulls out the old guys
1: and leaves the fresh guys. But in the end, you're
0: expediting adding your hair loss
1: without even realizing it. Um... (laughs)
0: <laughs> not, not unless you're
1: experiencing hair loss, because if, if you're not uh, having hair loss, the hairs are going to come back as thick and as strong as no. ever. Well, maybe we, I guess it just keeps the dead guys out. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: the hairs that have already kind of reached the end of their cycle, maybe they're not not as pretty, so it probably makes it look you more fresh You must have the fresh most fresh fascinating
3: conversations over the dinner table.
0: I do. I do. Thank you for asking. <laughs> well, so, you know, one of the things that we talked about in your practice is the process that a patient goes through as they come on board and try to determine, is this the practice for me? And obviously, one of the first folks you're going to interface with, as Jonathan talked about, is Sarah Kovac, the, the patient advocate. And, and talk a little bit, Sarah, about, you know, what is your role and how do you help guide the patient through making this decision and, and uh, you know, following them through the course of their interaction with Dr. Anderson?
2: Most of the time when I first start speaking with patients, it's either my first encounter is on the phone or it's actually in person following up with them via email. Uh, a lot of it, and this is, I think, one of the largest distinctions between Dr. Anderson's practice and some of the other ones that I've spoken with patients about is the fact that he stresses education, understanding exactly what's going on, but we're looking out for the patient. That's always the number one priority. and. I mean I don't always hear that from the patients and that was a large concern of mine and I think that's part of the reason why I I very much wanted to kind of move into more of this kind of a role than I was as just a surgical assistant I very much miss being the surgical assistant that was a lot of fun I definitely enjoy watching him do surgery and assisting him perform it but somebody needs to be guiding patients into what's in their better interests, not just, you know, we're having a price sale. so
0: That's a big life choice and, um, you know, I think it's it's certainly distinguishing that we're not talking about trying to lure you in because normally it's X thousand dollars or X hundred dollars, whatever the case may be, and now it's this. We're actually setting you down with a clinician who's going to be able to, you know, help kind of find out what are your goals and, and maybe begin to identify potential options and focus on the clinical outcome rather than a financial choice.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. It's a very b- good point uh, CW. The, the reality is what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, uh, corporate medicine is a term out there yeah. and that is a term that was uh, you know started in different areas medispas and but definitely in hair restoration corporate medicine has been around since 1975. There's a major company out there sure we're all aware of and uh, it was called Bosley. Dr. Larry Lee Bosley founded the company in, uh, in 1974. It is interesting to know we, we all have to thank him as physicians uh, for the ability to advertise. You couldn't even be in the yellow pages, and Dr. Bosley went to the mat in the 70s to change all that. Be that as it may, uh, Dr. Bosley sold his company to a Japanese hairbrush company that's publicly traded on the Tokyo Stock Exchange uh, in 1997. So it's been just about 20 years since he uh, did any operating. And so now, you know it's, uh, it's since it's a public company, you know they're existing to pay the shareholders. So that's just one example of the way that this, you know, the, the procedure and the the treatment and the therapy for hair loss can be delivered, you, you know, in a corporate setting, with of course profits uh, above all else. Then there are a bunch of practitioners uh, out there, some of who are s- somewhat serious and some of who are very and solely dedicated to the specialty. Uh, and, that's, and we would fall under that category because I think that's such an important life change. We do say in this field, uh, it's a funny little joke, but it's, very, it's not that funny if you fall on the wrong side of it. The good thing about hair restoration, you know, it's permanent. The bad thing about hair restoration is that it's permanent. Right. And if it's not done correctly and you're not happy with the results, um, there's going to be some difficult discussions you'll be having with your physician. And so uh, over the past 11 years, it's because I've dedicated myself and my practice to the, uh, the specialty, I think we've done a very good job at, at producing very natural results and minimizing you know, patients who are, are unhappy uh, with, with the results, because I tend to be real conservative. You don't wanna put a hairline that's really low on someone or, or straight across. It has to look absolutely natural. Right,
0: and, and th- those are the reasons why I think it's important that patients you know, understand that there are very big differences across the board available to them and just because somebody's on a on an ad on television doesn't necessarily mean that's the best choice particularly if they're really trying to bring you in based on uh, we're running a special today so come in and get uh, two follicles for one that's not necessarily the best choice I think I'd rather go to a a board certified specialist that's going to use the latest uh, technology and innovations to get my hair restoration done Um, and in you know before we jump over to our next guest do you have some final thoughts
1: there yeah i just got to say there it, it's a rapidly gl- growing field as i mentioned and a lot of uh, you know plastic surgeons across the country are are buying a device uh, that uh, you know that may do the follicular unit extraction and then you know they're already doing maybe breast surgery or otoplasties or other sort of uh, plastic surgery, and they'll buy the machine and add hair restoration onto their long menu of services, uh, having never performed a hair restoration procedure. Uh, The technicians to run that machine currently run $70 an hour. And uh, so that's really, you know, if you were a practitioner, you could buy this machine, hire the technician. And I do have colleagues who brag to me that they never even see the patient. This is happening today, all across the country. So it's important to sort of separate the wheat from the shaft because uh, there are not many, if, if there are very few, uh, uh, dedicated hair restoration surgery centers uh, that are not corporately owned and are, that are not, you know, a, a product of a, a surgeon who like bought a machine and is dabbling in it, offers it in addition to Botox and nose jobs and the like. Right. So, so it,
0: for the man or woman that's sitting out there listening to us today. Can you give them some maybe some good questions that they should ask to a prospective provider? Maybe they're not fortunate enough to be sitting in Atlanta uh, trying to make up their choice because it seems to me that the only physician that offers the robotic uh, hair restoration services in Atlanta would be the, the clear choice. Um, but uh, are there some key questions that maybe they should ask? Uh, you know, talked about. you mentioned the fact that sometimes the physician doesn't even see the patient through the procedure, so that would obviously be a key question, but what else?
1: Well, that would be, yeah, it'd be a giant red flag if you didn't meet with the doctor because that's how do you, how do you know who's going to be doing the procedure? So that's uh, one of the things. Who is going to be doing this procedure? What, if any, surgical training do they have? Uh, do they hold a board certificate at any surgical subspecialty at all? How long have they been doing hair restoration? And what other services do they offer? Because if, if it's just a menu item, uh, you, you really can't feel good, really good about getting uh, uh, great results. Because like I said, the, the the hair restoration surgery clinics are popping up all over the place. And they're doing their very best to you know look experienced. and. It's difficult uh, online a lot of times to, to tell, so I would strongly suggest that you just go meet with your prospective surgeon, and you should feel absolutely 100% comfortable asking for that surgeon's resume. Mm-hmm. Have a look at it. Look for, look for the training. Look for the experience. Look for the obvious. De- if it's there, you'll see it, the dedication to the specialty.
0: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that Jonathan pointed out earlier that uh, might be a useful thing is, did you do this work, That these photos you're showing <laughs> me? Did you yeah. actually, is this one of your patients? Did you do this?
4: Um, I thought Absolutely. that was kind
0: of telling. They had, you know, plenty of photos for you to look at, but they didn't do the work. That was kind of interesting.
4: And, you know, not only that, um, he'll give you a phone number uh, for some of these patients, or actually he'll have a patient call you. And in, in, in this case, I told him after the procedure, I said, anyone you want me to contact, and, and they can fire questions at me and, and ask me, I'll be happy to do it because i'm happy with my results i want more people to know about this and you know i'm not i'm not a stock photo like some of these other yeah. places so um you know and i told him i said man i'll come to your office if you want me to and they can run their fingers through my hair and see that it's real you did this we've got pictures and you know he, he's the he's the real thing here in atlanta and, and um, like i said do your homework uh, even if you're not in atlanta um you know, uh, see if they have a patient that you could talk to or, or even meet in person. I mean, that's that's uh, that's the result you're gonna get.
1: Have we had uh, uh, patients call you?
4: Uh, you know, I, th- I think you've given my number out, a uh, few people, yeah, so.
3: Well, good. Dr. Anderson, is there anybody that's not a candidate for this?
1: Very good question. Um, yes, actually, and we turned down some patients. The reality is because hair restoration, the procedure is a redistribution of hair that you still have, um, you have to make sure that the hair in the donor area is healthy. And let me just, I'm going to back up and talk about this is the basics of hair restoration and why it works. The hair on the back and sides of, we'll take a man for instance, because it's more consistent in this manner. The hair on the back and sides of the head, you know, you know the hair remaining on a typical bald guy. Those hairs do not have molecular receptors to the hormones that cause balding in the first place. You can move those hairs anywhere around on the body. And actually, the very first hair restoration in this country was done in 1959 by Dr. Norman Orange-Treich And he, you know, as was common back in the early days of science, would, he took a bit of a piece of his own scalp right from the back of his head and put it on the inside of his left uh, hairless forearm. Eight months later, he had gorgeous flowing locks of hair coming from the inside of his left arm. And this proved the theory of donor dominance. And I use a tree analogy a lot of people think well what if you put the hair up there where i lost it why wouldn't it just go away anyway and i say because well the the hairs are going away because they they are hormonally sensitive to a hormone that's causing it. the skin is fine it's like moving trees around when you take a, a deciduous tree and you put it into a pine tree forest it's not going to turn into a pine tree it's going to stay a deciduous tree or a maple tree so the, the hairs are individually programmed so they can be moved around uh, and that's, that's basically why it works, because it, it, uh, the hairs are not sensitive to the hormones that cause balding, and that's why the procedure is permanent. Because that hairline you create is going to be present forever.
3: So we're talking about transplant, Yep. and we're talking about the procedure, but you've never actually explained what is done.
1: Very good. Uh, what is done is essentially I individually in, uh, meet with every patient. And and just to complete the answer to your last question, I inspect carefully using loops, magnification loops, uh, the hairs in the donor area to make sure there's not a concurrent type of hair loss going on. This is much more common in females where there's hair loss and thinning across the top, but when you look into the donor area and the back and sides, you'll see that there's starting to have some thinning there as well. That's a problem because that tells us that that hair loss is not, or that hair is not exactly permanent and it uh, and, and will change the outcome of the procedure. But in a patient who is a candidate, and that's to answer a question, a patient who would not be a candidate for a hair restoration procedure, because it would just be, uh, in my opinion, unethical and a sham procedure. Yeah, a not, temporary fix. Yeah, you know, you're not getting anywhere. So if I check and make sure those hairs are, are, are nice and what we call terminal hairs, full, fully grown, uh, then they are m- removed surgically from the back and sides of the head, and then uh, placed into the areas of need one hair at a time. We can take them from the donor area in one of two ways, uh, either with the traditional linear strip and where we take advantage of the fact the scalp moves up and down in the donor area. And I take a little thin strip of it. Uh, I do a facelift plastic surgical closure on that. That does leave a permanent linear scar in the donor area on the back and sides of your head. It's not near the ears, it's kind of up there so you can still wear a ponytail if you're a female. And then that strip of tissue is then handed to my full-time team of surgical technicians who, under dissection microscopes, separate each follicle from its brother or sister and then sort them out. One-haired follicles over here, two-haired, and so forth. Uh, And then all this is going on while I'm making sites where the hairs are going to go and the direction, orientation, and placement of the new hairs. The hairs are then inserted surgically with tiny little jeweler's forceps. Again, all this using loop magnification because hairs are small. Uh, and placed into the sites that, that have been created by me to, uh, uh, you know, to create the new hairline or the new uh, fullness in it where we need it. The hair continues to grow there. It thinks it's still back in the back and sides of the head. The hair still thinks it's in the permanent zone. But in fact, it's in an area where it's, uh, the hair has already been lost. So that's how it's done. We can do The, the, the other way we can do it is, of course, use the The robot and that's a fascinating piece of technology. We trim the hair down. Uh, it has a robotic, a six-armed, um, six-jointed arm on the end of which is a, uh, the surgical, the, the business end, I call it, and it's got a little tiny punch in there, a 0.9 millimeter punch, and on either side of it are two stereoscopic cameras which 5,000 times a second update their, the robot's head and time and place, and then it robotically extracts one follicle at a time from the donor area, leaving, we don't use a scalpel, there are no stitches, there's no scarring, you can just get all the hair uh, and then place it into the areas uh, of need. And in the donor area, instead of having that telltale line, there's just little hypopigmentations, maybe some little white dots or lighter colored dots scattered that you really have to shave your head to see. So there's, you know, there's no, it really reduces uh, the obviousness or the, the evidence really that a hair restoration surgery has even taken place.
3: So why would you do the robot as opposed to the other one? I mean, how do you decide which is a better? Well, I, have, I
1: offer patients both. Typically, there are advantages and disadvantages to each. But really, in the long term, when we look at it, I ask the patient, you know, do you, uh, would you like to ever wear your hair really short in the future? Um, and that's the main consideration because it's you know, hair restoration surgery. Let's face it. There's a lot of Foolishness going on in this industry, so to speak, and it kind of has a black eye because of the very unnatural work that was performed in the '70s and '80s, and so there. And because anybody can do it, you uh, know, a psychiatrist uh, tomorrow could say, "I'm a surgeon and do one." It's there's a lot of variability. You can do this procedure a million different ways, um, and so there's, I think, a healthy skepticism in the public uh, uh, towards this procedure. So. Really, I try not to guide patients. I say, look, you know, any serious hair restoration surgeon is going to offer, I think it's disservice not to offer both methods. But you're going to find a lot of information out there. If a guy only offers one method, he's going to mark it against the other one and, and, and so forth. So really, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a crazy field out there.
3: And is a patient put under, like, general anesthesia? Oh, no.
1: Mm-mm. No, it's like a day at the spa. You come on in, I have an extremely comfortable chair kind of uh, you hang out there I do uh, patients get a PRP uh, with a cell procedure with every single uh, hair restoration I do not operate without it uh, it acts so well to make the to drive the success rate of the grass to 100% um, and then basically they're just given a little bit of Valium a little bit of versed, uh, and a comfortable chair and so really they, they're sedated I personally do all the anesthesia it's all on, done on local anesthesia just a little tiny needle and some lidocaine and uh, th- 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 in that way, the procedure is 100% painless.
0: It's pretty amazing when you think about it, and, and they're advancing the technology even further to where the, the being able to place the hairs into, the, you know, into their new location is actually going to be done somewhat by the robot now, is going forward? Uh, the, uh,
1: available nec- uh, next year will be not the placement, but the site making. Ah. And that's going to be able to, you know, the, the robot will be able to make a bunch of sites in a very dense pattern and a very uniform pattern. But I'm personally still going to be doing the frontal hairline because that's, you know, we as humans are very, very good at picking up patterns, and that's something that I have to kind of make sure as we don't create patterns. A lot. I just want. I want to ask uh, uh, Jonathan. You know, a lot of one of the main concerns of of patients is, you know, how painful is it? Can you speak to how, you know, how painful was it in your words?
4: It wasn't painful at all. Um, actually when you were talking about your chair and everything I, I remembered that day I was, you know, I, I went in and I could have fallen asleep. I mean, I, I, I could just hear you talking and, and we you we're talking did. back and forth. I did not fall asleep <laughs> for a little while because uh, like you said, it was a day at the spa. I mean, um, I, I, you know, just sat there in the chair and, and it was done and I was like, wow, you guys are done already. And, um, no pain at all. I mean, even the next day, um, I had the proper medication and. There was no pain, so um, yeah. To answer your question, it was it was it was great. I mean, I I was I was amazed at at the experience of the uh, the artist, and you know, I could hear the little punches, and um, you know, there there wasn't even any pressure. It it was just real quick, and um, Ken did a great job, and he made the sights, and that didn't hurt either. And you know, he'd give me a mirror and say, "What do you think?" I was like, "Man, that's great." So I mean, it's fantastic. it Really, it it was almost as if I was going in to get a, a a haircut instead of getting a haircut, I'm getting hair (laughs) you know I mean it was uh he drew out a hairline he he asked me what I thought about it it looked great and he made the sights and uh it was um I I was amazed at how streamless the process was
3: have you had your first haircut yet
4: yes 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 I, I mean so I got this done uh in April and honestly when I went in to get my haircut the lady who cuts my hair did not even know she had no clue and then eventually, I told her because I, I mean it's it's such an interesting concept of uh, with today's technology what you can do now. And I told her, and she said, yeah, "I don't believe you." You know, I, I've seen <laughs> some some bad jobs coming yeah, here. Yeah, She said, "Who did it?" You know. And I told her. She said, I, "I've got a handful of people I need to tell about this." I said, "Yeah, tell them to call me." But no, she didn't even notice. Um, uh, like I said, friends, family, no one notices. And I mean, you're sitting here right now looking at me. Would you ever think like, no, "God, this guy had something done?" do no. It's uh it's amazing i'm, I'm fortunate that uh, this technology is out there I'm unfortunately I, I walked into the right office yeah and um you know uh, he didn't try to sell me he showed me results and i made my mm-hmm. own decision and the cool thing about this office i didn't get a phone call the next day saying hey did you make your decision yeah, i didn't get go. one the next week yeah. i actually called them and said you know what is your schedule like in in uh, you know two months out um So uh, yeah, it's it's, like I said, do your homework, find the right person, whatever town you're in, ask the key questions, who's gonna do it, look at results, and um, you get what you pay for out there. You're gonna see a lot of specials. Like you said, two for one deals. Man, that's good when you're- (laughs) Go the other way. Yeah, you're talking about tires or something, but it's not good for for your hair. So um, uh, uh, try to avoid some of the scams that are out there because they are out there. and, And when you look at this online, you're gonna see some bad jobs. You're going to see uh, if you just look google images it's enough to scare you it's like a
0: bad tattoo on your face essentially <laughs> yeah. i mean you know really you have right. to live with it from That's now on or get You're corrected right. through some painful process yeah we've been talking with dr kenneth anderson of the anderson hair sciences center his teammate colleague uh, sarah kovac patient advocate and then of course visiting with uh, a de- very delighted client uh, for good reason uh, jonathan williamson and thank you all for taking some time to share information with us. And one of the reasons why I had our next guest join us on the show today, Dr. Anderson is kind of an expert with regards to uh, sharing a great deal of information about what he does in his practice, how it works, uh, talking about uh, patients and their outcomes and letting them tell their stories. And, and that brings me to our next guest, Diana Keough of uh, Sherwick. Um, you know, one of the things that you help people do is tell their story, whether it's a patient testimonial, whether it's a practitioner that needs to tell the story of their practice Mm -hmm. and how they help people. So take us back in time when the concept of Sherwick came into play, and, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there.
3: Well, I have been a healthcare journalist for over 20 years, and I was uh, with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and also my contract allowed me to report for National Public Radio. And um, then I was on television every Friday night as a political analyst. I know health and politics, they especially now go together. Um, and then my husband took a job here in the Atlanta area in 2006, and uh, I was a front-page series writer, and it's not something that you walk away from that easily, especially after spending that long to get there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, they offered me more money, more vacation time, and made me the Southern Bureau of the Plain Dealer. And so I commuted between Atlanta and Cleveland for over a year and a half. <laughs> wow. And um, I have uh, four children, and three of whom were still home at the time. And um, in that year and a half, although I was doing fabulous work and I I loved my job, um, I was not meeting anybody here. And I also felt like I became an actor in my own life because I had to to hire someone to do everything for me. Um, And plus, when I was in Cleveland working, I never missed a single event. I have four boys and never missed a single event. I never missed a tennis match, a meeting, nothing. But that's hard to do when you're in Cleveland and your kids are having a state tennis meet in Atlanta a state Mm. track meet Mm -hmm. and National Honor Society is being induction is going on and that was going on on the week that I actually was on the airplane on a Tuesday and walked in I hadn't even told my husband I was gonna quit and um, I just was like I can't do this anymore I needed to commit to a place and this was 2007 and Y'all will find this amusing. My last article that I wrote was a, a profile piece on um, the spiritual advisor of a little-known candidate that in 2007 July had not a chance in hell of winning the president, presidential election by the name of Barack Obama. And um, there was actually an argument um, the editorial staff when I did this profile on whether it was a front page article or not because he didn't stand a chance in 2007 July, and we all know how that turned out. But in 2007, nobody was getting laid off from media jobs. Um, nobody was leaving newspapers. They all thought I was completely crazy. But it left me in coming into a larger media market. And I had promised my family I was going to take six to eight months off just to kind of settle. We were Oh, and we were also doing a renovation at the time, too. Oh, great. Um, and so I did. And that's when the bleed started. Um, AJC or the Atlanta Journal Constitution was letting off hundreds of people. CNN was thousands of people, and that, as you know, is continuing. Still, yeah. So I was kind of faced with this, this whole new media on, on basically what do you do next when you're already doing what you've always wanted to do. Like since I was eight years old, that's what I wanted to do. And so my husband, who's a, a consultant background, kept making me go for walks only because I think I would talk about— <laughs> He just about, wanted you
0: to be out of the house. Well,
3: he wanted me to stop crying. <laughs> because um, oh I left I mean I left the job that I'd always I mean that was my job yeah um, and so he kept drilling it down to what qu- one question and it was really what is it that you love the most about your job what is it that you're gonna miss and it really came down to telling people's stories and as a health reporter and front-page series writer I was with people at that point of crisis when it started, whether it in the hospital, when the accident happened, I was called in, I was basically the, uh, one of the first calls the hospital would make to the newspaper would be, to me, this is a great story, and there's a lot of layers, and they knew, they knew me so well and what stories I really wanted. Um, and I was, uh, the reason I love that so much is because it's really a privilege to hear and be with someone when they're going through something like that, and oftentimes, you know, even so when we go on vacation, you come back to work, you have this like, life transforming, the light is different, the food is amazing in Italy, you come back to work and people say, how was your vacation? You say, great. And then they never ask you another thing about it, right? So, But when you go through a health crisis, even more so, nobody asks you any questions. And so it becomes very lonely and very isolating. And so I was the one that was asking the questions about what is it like to have sex without a breast? What is what happens to be able to get back into life when you have no leg, or you have to learn how to do everything all over again, from a caretaking perspective, from a patient perspective, from a, you know how it changed. What's interesting about um, being a healthcare reporter and working with so many doctors is that there is always a reason. And if we had more time, I'd like to dig into why this, because there's always a reason why he started out in plastic surgery and went into this. And it's not so much. I mean, there's passion when he when Dr. Anderson speaks, but without. I mean, almost without exception, if you ask a doctor why they chose that specialty, there's usually a story on why they chose Mm -hmm. that. Whether it be I lost a dad or a grandfather, very dear to me. So I wanted to try to do that again, and so I came out. um, We launched in 2010 with patients staring straight into the camera, telling their stories, symptoms, diagnosis. This is how my life changed, and. This is what I know now. If I could do this all over again, this is what I would do differently. Mistakes made, lessons learned. This is what I wish someone would have told me. This is what my advice is for you.
0: Well, we have, you know, I know our physician practice, the, you know, at Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, we have patients whose lives are changed once they finally find out about us. Um, but, you know, my question is, when you get that story, you sit down with that patient. You're looking them in the face, and they're telling you a very compelling story. And I've seen some testimonials that uh, some of our colleagues in the market have have put out, and they're fantastic and they're very moving and compelling and make me want to watch the whole thing. Um, how do you get the community to be able to see it? How do you you know how do you lead people to to where the message resides so that they can actually
3: it. Well, um, that's an interesting question because we don't give our content away. So we we launched as a website, and Sharewick means share what I know. So it was people sharing their personal stories. And four months after we launched, I had my old newspaper came to me and asked to use the content, and I said, "Soft place in my heart, yes, have it for free." A couple of weeks later, I had a very large media company ask, "You know, we'd love to use our, your content. Can we use it?" And oh, oh, by the way, how much do you charge? And I was like my god I'm a journalist I'm not used to getting paid so I had to come up with a price structure and after that it was you know one media company Time Warner WebMD health grades I mean it was one after another because yeah. I was creating something in a market where healthcare journalists were going away and there's an art I mean the questions that I was asking you there mm-hmm. there are questions that I know to ask that a general reporter will not ask you mm-hmm. because I have an institutional memory of what all you know I knew all the doctors you were speaking about and so because we were in that market at that time, we became a distribution for all these media companies that, who no longer had anyone covering that I from see. a journalistic, evidence-based, I know what, you know, everyone that works for me knows what a secondary journal is compared to a first-tier journal and, you know, what a study is. They know what the evidence is. And then we, um, about two years ago, we expanded into corporate wellness because we had a corporate client ask us. Um, to you know loved our content can we use your content Um, and they were trying to just get the needle to move on this wellness you know the people that are off the couch are going to remain off the couch it's the people that are on the couch that they aren't showing up at brown bags they're trying to offer a hundred bucks to get them to have their their biometrics taken they're still not showing up so what we did is we created the software that actually distributes the content Um, that allows this to be plugged into any wellness platform and a patient or an employee can watch at their leisure and um, what was interesting about that is the unintended consequence is that the employees were actually employers were actually pushing diabetes and smoking sensation and what they found is that or what we found is that what the employees are actually spending the time on are those things that are really taking productivity away which is depression which is Caring for Aging Parents, which is a teenage eating disorder, all those things. And so then they can gear their content that they're, s- they're sending out to their employees to that. And so in, in starting with the corporate wellness platform, we now have expanded into basically creating content for anyone within the healthcare channel.
0: So you're saying that obviously because many of the entities you were talking about earlier, Time Warner, um, you know, large media companies being, uh, you know, obvious uh, groups that would have some value in, in this type of content. Um, but can a practice like ours get value? Can, you know, is, it, is it too tall for them no, to, to not interface at all. In with? In
3: fact, we, we work with um, a lot of physician practices and write write the um, articles and expert-authored blogs for a lot of doctors that don't have the time to do it, but they still have to have that social media presence. So we create the content not only for websites, but also for you know, video content, editorial content, blogs, articles, for everyone within the healthcare channel. And again, because we're so specialized in health and wellness, the learning curve is, is basically zero.
0: We've been visiting with healthcare journalist Diana Keo, CEO and founder of ShareWick, uh, and an organization as we've been describing here helps people and medical groups uh, tell their stories. and And we, we know just how powerful that is. Um, I know for ourselves, one of the things that got us to Top Docs Radio was trying to tell a story, um, and so it's very compelling. And I think that uh, it's interesting to know that there's a resource for a medical practice to be able to link up with you and you know be able to get content. That would educate people and help them kind of connect with them on a human scale because that's one of the things people really want to be able to do is to log on to a website. You know, Ken's website is fantastic about that because there's real patients there. You can get a sense for what he's like even before you step foot in the office. Now we have this kind of content that he can share with his folks and they can actually hear him talking, hear his passion before they've ever stepped in. So they'll f- come into the office feeling like they know him and. From what I gather, that's much what you're able to help a a group do as well.
3: You know, and a lot of the doctors that in patient practices that we, um, or provider practices that we deal with, don't have the wherewithal to do that or the time. Yeah, that's but they the thing also I'm know. Is yeah. is the time part of it is yeah. very difficult. It's very time consuming. And, you know, in this day and age, especially with, you know, Jonathan and also Sarah, this age group, if you're not on Google and if you don't have a pr- presence, you don't exist. Yep. And so there, you know, we've gone from not advertising back in the 50s to now where you've got to basically have regular content out there to actually, because if you actually start something and don't have anything that is relevant and, and updated, and your last entry was 2012. You don't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. Inbound marketing being, you know, kind of an emerging focus, and I think that it's kind of where it's going to go is, is you know, I know our own practice is an example of this. We went to mass media on a local station that had an excellent coverage, and that huge spend went nowhere for us. It was we could have built a fire and and at least gotten some <laughs> s'mores out of out of spending that money. Um, we, you know, the biggest thing that we got was a big lesson in, in you know information that's you know i think would make us much more strategic and well educated now but that's where i learned about it was once it didn't go where we wanted it that's when we began to learn about digital marketing seo sem and inbound and inbound being where you're putting out as you're talking about and what you share through ShareWick is useful information that pulls people to you That now becomes you become a resource you know of good information that yeah. keeps them in touch with you even when they don't need you but when they do need you now you're where they go
3: right and and as you all know in this room that you the only reason someone's looking for you is because they want to do a hair restoration process or they're noticing like you did that you're getting a little bald up front what you want to do is be front and center and that you're you're doing so much good work that's relevant and important and telling people stories that when that happens you're in the back of the mind already Um, And that there's a robust, rich media site that people are coming to that actually tells your story before someone actually comes in the door. Now, on the flip side, if you don't do that, then you're basically going to lose that patient to the person that is doing that. So...
0: So when, when an entity, whether it's a solo practice or a larger organization, links up with Sherwick, is it, is it sort of a subscription type relationship, a uh, one-time kind of project? How does it work? Well,
3: sometimes we do one project, but, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I will do one, one video, but I will also encourage, uh, one video is not going to, unless you're doing an image piece for your website, one video is not going to do you any good. So it it needs to be scoped out, thoughtful process on how to do a robust media site that has the real patient stories, that actually tells the story of the practice, that has the personality that comes out of the doctor, that passion, because that's what people want to see. And, you know, we were talking before we went um, on air that, um Sarah and I won't even get our haircuts unless we actually know yep. two people that have gone there more so with a healthcare practice. Yes. So you want to be able to talk to a patient, you want to be able to see and hear real pe- real people. And it has been fashionable to actually hire actors. <coughs> that is it's just uh, people cue into that that it's inauthentic. So it's got to be an authentic and vulnerable and raw story. It's got to be real.
0: Well, obviously, you have some excellent information, and I'm very glad that we're going to be able to talk to you in a few days, uh, again when you rejoin the show uh, here uh, in a in a week or so, when we come back and talk with. Uh, uh, the the folks from uh, bioscape digital um because as it happens our time always goes by so quickly B- before we run out of time for for the show today tell people where they can find you in the meantime and then we're going to have you back and we're going to have some more great information coming out about sherwick uh
3: we can be found at sharewick.com and it's share what i know share w-i-k.com
0: and you're on social media as well obviously
3: absolutely at uh sh- at, at sherwick and at dikeo
0: And, of course, obviously we're linked in with them uh, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and social, uh, or Facebook. Dr. Anderson, you want to share your website and social media real quickly?
1: Yes, our website is uh, www.AtlantaHairSurgeon.com. And there's links to our uh, Facebook page, our YouTube channel, our Google Plus page, and our Flickr account, uh, on that front page. So it, there's a lot to explore. We have near 150 patient interviews uh, like John Williamson here uh, t- answering various questions. And uh, just like Diane said, very candidly, uh, it, you know, it's, it's worth checking out. There's some videos about the robot. There's, uh, even, there's even a surgeon's view uh, of the robot interface um, but that's uh, or they can call 404256 hair that's 4042564247
0: if you haven't done so already you can link up with the top docs radio show on Facebook and Twitter we're at twitter.com hashtag or, or at top docs on BRX. And then, of course, facebook.com slash topdocsonbrx. Make sure you link up with us there. Hopefully, everybody here will do that. Uh, That's the only fee for being here is linking up with us on social media. Thanks for everybody today, taking time out of your busy schedules to come and share some information. Looking forward to having you back on the show in a few days, Diana, to talk more. See you next week
1: in the same time, same place. What were you going to say? I was going to say thank you very much for having uh, my patient, myself, and my patient uh, advocate on today.
0: Well, we look forward to talking to you all again real soon.